Please open to Acts chapter 25. That's on page 544 of that blue Bible in the chair in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, please bring that one home uh, and read it. I encourage you to do that. Uh, we believe it is the most precious gift that we can give you um, as it shows us who our awesome God is. And as you turn there, I was thinking about today's passage this weekend. Uh, I have this um, personality I think it's a benefit. Um, people who are close to me think it's a frustration. So you can figure that out for yourself. But I, f I find inefficiency frustrating. Um, I'm always about trying to figure out the, the closest and the fastest way to do as many things as I can from A to B. Um, we were in Costco yesterday, and it was driving me insane. Um, because I know where I want to go and I know the things that I want to get and I, I'm all about trying to find the most um, quickest and most efficient way to get there. I generally am thinking, how can I tighten this up a little bit better? Even if it doesn't need to be, I'm going to think about it a little bit more. And the problem with this mentality is that what I find efficient isn't exactly what everybody else thinks is efficient, which means that I'm right and they're wrong. But that's besides the point. The biggest problem of this is this, is that not only do we have different opinions uh, when we have with other people about what is efficiency, is that when I look at who God is, I quickly find out that his timing and his definition of efficiency is significantly different than mine. Significantly different. Think about it, that just in the grand scheme of things. As we were just talking about Zephaniah, which is a great book, think about the process of God redeeming his people from Genesis all the way to when Jesus was born. Thousands of years come into play there. And then from when Jesus died on the cross for our sin, and then he rose from the dead and then ascended to heaven, we're like over 2,000 years. And sometimes I have to think, God, is there not a more efficient way of doing things? Isn't there a more efficient way of doing things? I think about a man like John Bunyan. He was in prison for preaching the gospel in, in England in 1660. Yeah, in England, this Christian nation was imprisoning people who preached the gospel. And he was in prison for 12 years. He sat there, just sat there in prison. And many things happened there. Children were born and children died during that time. His poor his poor wife had to raise kids, her, his second wife had to raise kids that weren't even his, hers. Unable to preach. One of the greatest preachers of his time was not able to preach. Well, God, isn't there a better way of using John and his time on this planet? Because 12 years back in the 1600s was a significant portion of one's life. Isn't there a more efficient way of accomplishing what you are accomplishing? Trusting God and his timing is incredibly hard. It's probably one of the hardest things you do in life. How do we do it? And as we open up into chapter 25, we see Paul, uh, he's been locked up for two years, just waiting there, sitting, waiting, and learning. Learning to trust God that his timing is beautiful and perfect. Why would God take out probably what we view to be the most important player on the field for two whole years? The word of the Lord says this in Acts 25. 
Now, three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul. And they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul, that he, su- that he summon him to Jerusalem, because they were planning to ambush, uh, to ambush, to kill him on the way. And Festus replied that Paul was being kept in Caesarea, and that he himself intended to go, go there shortly. So, said he, let the men of the authority among you go down from heaven, or sorry, from me, with me, not heaven. And if there is anything wrong about that man, let them bring charges against him. After he stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. And Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law, of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, do you wish to go to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I'm standing before Caesar's tribunal, where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to, to these charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Father, we just come to continue to worship you, to make much of you, to lift your name up high. So, Lord, I pray as we listen to your word preached that we would indeed worship you, that by your word you would pierce into our hearts and show us those things that we need to work on and remind us once again of who you are and what you have done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. And, Lord, there's no possible way that I can preach this on my own so will you not do this for for me lord there is no possible way that i can make this turn out well so will you not make this turn out well so lord by your spirit help me to preach this sermon with what is needed use this sermon to bring glory to your name joy to your people and salvation to the lost and amen in verses one to five we see a new governor arrives here in this land, this region of Judea. In verses 1, we're introduced to this man named Festus, and he doesn't waste any time at all in going to see those who are the local authorities that he now governs. It's a pretty smart move, really, to go and see who's the power behind the power, right? Oftentimes, when uh, one thing that I was always warned about is that uh, coming to a church is that you have those who are leading, and then you have those who are leading, Right, And that's what exactly what he did. This is a wise political and leadership move. And he meets with the movers and the shakers of the area. And this is important because he has this big task ahead of him. He is tasked with bringing stability to the region, which Felix neglected to do. He actually did a horrible job at it. And that's why he was brought to Rome and he was kicked out of that position. In fact, as far as we know, Felix continued to live and he was lucky that he lived. It was that bad. 
We don't know much about Festus, but what we do know is from the Jewish historian Josephus, who paints Festus in a way better light as Felix, and even the governor that comes after Festus. Festus corrected disturbances, and he gathered up many of the people who were causing revolts and revolutions, and he was bringing stability to the region. But here's the thing, Festus only lasts two years in office because he dies. In verse 2, we see as Festus goes to Jerusalem, the leaders don't waste time in bringing up their own concerns. And right here, we see how God has brought a new governor into this place, and he's only there for two years, and we see how God continues to be sovereign over time. And as the leaders, as they meet with Festus, they don't waste time, they bring charges. Remember, Paul has been in prison for two whole years. Last I checked, two whole years is a long time to come up with some pretty good arguments against someone. It should have been. Maybe even to produce some sort of witnesses that could actually agree with the charges that they're going to be bringing. But as the relationships between Felix and the Jews restrained, Festus is seeking to calm things down. And what is clear that even after two full years is that the Jewish leaders hated Paul and it had not gone away. In verse 3, we see that Festus has been on the job for just a few days and they begin to bombard him with requests to bring Paul to Jerusalem. And their motives weren't to establish justice but to kill Paul on the way to Jerusalem. They had nothing to do with, this has nothing to do with justice. This has to do with hatred. And again, we're reminded of the outcome of hatred and why Jesus comes along and says, it's not about just killing someone, but about fostering hate within your hearts and malice. And once again, Luke is using these people and saying they're not God's people as they seek to kill God's messenger. And here's a question. is Why are you trying to kill someone rather than relying upon the justice system of that time? Because they already knew that they lost the case. It's an amazing what happens when we start taking things into our own hands rather than resting in God's timing. So festive wisely or naively, or at the very least, it's all about God's timing, says that Paul will stay in Caesarea, where is, which is where the seat of justice of the governor is. It was literally a, a seat, and we'll see this later on in, in the following verses in verse 6. It's, it's a chair that symbolized governing and justice there was one governor who would like travel his area while getting his seat carried with him i feel sorry for the guys who had to do that but there it will be so festus shows appropriate legal caution and he says hey guys you know what how about you guys and anybody else who's important why don't you come with me and we can go to Caesarea and we can talk about this. And I can hear them and I can hear the formal charges. Two years of waiting seems like a pretty inefficient thing. Kind of a waste of time almost, at least from my human perspective. I don't know, maybe you disagree with me, but I think that's kind of a waste. But even as Paul waited in prison, God's promise to bring Paul to Rome will still stand as God 
protects Paul from possible murder, using a secular government to bring about his purpose and will for Paul. So to us, God's timing doesn't always seem to be the best. But God has purpose in everything that is happening. Remember, God did say about Paul in Acts 9, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name from the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name, he says. God's timing will accomplish his purpose. As we see in verses 6 to 12, he begins to defend himself before this new this new governor. In verse 6, back to this whole chair thing, he comes and he sits down in his chair, his tribunal, and he begins to hear. This is the official hearing of what is going to happen. And Luke is making an interesting tie to what he wrote about Jesus all the way back in Luke 23, when Jesus said, when Jesus said to take up your cross and follow him, here again we see that to be a Christian is to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, just like Paul does. And just like Jesus, Paul's accusers stand around him. Imagine that. You're Paul in this room. Clearly there are no friends. And all of these people are are standing around him, yelling at him. He could probably feel the saliva off of those faces as they yelled and cursed at him and began to bring up charges with absolutely no evidence whatsoever. One has to think about what Paul is feeling at this very moment. I think back to Romans 9, verse 3, which says, For I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. And as his brothers in the flesh are standing around him, yelling at him, accusing him, denying the very gospel, denying the thing that would save them, they could just imagine their, his heart for them. As they denied, as Jeremiah says, and as, as Jeremiah 17, 13 says, O Lord, the hope of Israel. But here again, we are reminded that all who forsake you, the Lord, shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth, for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. You just imagine the heart that Paul was having at this moment. Not only is he being accused of things that he didn't do, but he has a heart for the people who are accusing him of these things. But again, in God's timing, everything will work out. In verse 8, we see that Paul again lays out his argument. He says these things. I, I haven't broken the law of the Jews. Again, I was actually fulfilling the requirements of the law while I was in the temple. I haven't desecrated the temple. I didn't bring a Gentile into the inner courts again. I was actually going through a ritual process of purification that is required of the law. And then he says, I haven't broken the law of Caesar either because I was minding my own business, walking through the temple during a time of purification ritual, which the law required. And again, he says, as we see with Luke in verse 7, they could not prove any of these charges. See, Paul was innocent of these charges, as we see in verse 9, but Festus proposes, while in the region, uh, he wants to calm all of that civil discourse 
and he doesn't want to cause any more problems. And you can see even Festus becomes a little bit more political-leaning rather than justice-leaning. And even the fairest of judges had to weigh the consequences of what would happen in his decision. If he did free Paul, what's going to happen? I, I, I know that the, the, the Jewish leaders that are standing out here yelling at him, looking at him like they're going to kill him, are not going to go quietly into the sunset. I also know that if he's innocent, so if I do do anything, if I don't let him go, then I'm actually compromising justice, which is exactly why I'm here. You could, you could feel the tension that Festus must have been feeling at this moment of time. And he says this, wishing to do the Jews a favor is why he asks this question. And Paul can smell that something is coming up. Roman justice is being undermined by the political prowlessness. And Festus can feel the pressure that Rome needs to do something to calm down the situation, the group. We've got to remember that historically, it's, not, it's only in a few more years that Rome comes out and completely destroys Jerusalem. Completely annihilates it because of civil unrest. This region wasn't exactly known for being calm. And we see that here again. What are we doing? What am I going to do? And as Paul smells that in verse 10, he says, I'm standing before Caesar's tribunal. He's actually putting himself under the mercy of the government he's sitting under, meaning that only Caesar has the right to try his case, not the Jews, because Paul hasn't done anything that would offend the Jews or break their law, I should say. And Paul is exactly where he's supposed to be. To the Jews, I, he says, I have done no wrong. I haven't broken the law or desecrated the temple. And as you know yourself very well, he says, because they haven't produced any witnesses. You can smell the, the accusations and the false accusations. No one can give me up, he says. And that word is interesting, as he says, no one can give me up, because it's, it's related back to the word favor in, in verses 3 and 9. Paul won't allow himself to be a political pawn or a gift to the Jews. So he stands there before Caesar. But at the same time, we see in verse 11, even when, then I am a wrongdoer, I have committed anything wrong, even if I have done anything wrong, Paul is willing to submit to the government in its case if he has done anything wrong. What Paul is doing is not allowing himself within the rights of his citizenship to be used as a pol political pawn. It's a reason why he exercises his right as a citizen to take his case to the highest authority and goes over the governor's head and appeals to Caesar. Within Roman law, there was this thing where if you felt that the courts, if the local judge as a Roman citizen, if you felt that the local governor wasn't going to try your case well, you can actually go around him and go up. Or even if you were found guilty, you could say, I appeal to Caesar. So kind of like the Supreme Court. Kind of, not really, because I looked it up online because I really had no idea how the whole structure worked. But just to paint out a picture for us. But this is what he does. But at the same time, it's interesting because he, he's also not seeking to escape death. And Paul wasn't a running from the consequences that he deserved or if Caesar decided he deser if he deserved it. It's interesting because who is Caesar of Rome at this time? 
the Caesar of this time was actually a guy named Nero. And we, if you've read any sort of history, you know Nero. You may think, well, that's not really a good thing. Well, why would you submit yourself to that guy? Well, at the same time, Paul wouldn't have had any reason to, to, do, uh, to think that Nero would not be just. Because at this time, as God is using this time, Nero is actually doing all right. This is a golden era of Rome at this moment of time. There's about two to three years of Nero's reign that he was actually sane in his head. Because he had mentors that walked with him. Eventually, though, he had those mentors killed. Um, and then not too long later, he uh, committed suicide. But in that moment of time, you see how God is using all of these things to accomplish his purpose to bring Paul to Rome. His life, would, Nero's life would end by suicide, but God at this moment had Nero where he wanted for this purpose. And it's a great insight for us to what Paul really was talking about all the way in Romans 13, verse 21 to 2. Romans 13 is a hard passage to get our mind around because, again, I've talked about this before. I don't like it because it talks about something that I don't want to do, which, to be honest, is what most of the Bible is like. We're okay with God's grace, but when he tells us to obey him, we're like, yeah, I got a better idea of how things go. But Romans 13, 1-2 says, Let everyone, every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, everyone, whoever, sorry, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists the God who appointed, and those who result will incur judgment. And Paul saw that no matter his own experience, government was ordained by God to rule, protect, and to keep order without resorting to some sort of tyranny. Because as he says in verse 3, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear for the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. It's like the other day. You know, did you know that on Cheapside they put a uh, speed trap? If you haven't, it's too late, your notice is in the mail. I know I've gotten caught at least twice, and I am dreading the mail. But why do I dread it? Because I broke the speed limit. Even if it was 50 kilometers an hour, that speed limit is 40. That's my uh, reminder to all of you to obey the speed limit as you leave this place. Because uh, we might, as a church, be sponsoring a new road with all the money. Uh, and I would much rather use that money to do other things here in the church for the gospel. But Paul knew that if he was guilty, he was subject to the penalties as long as they were not violating God's revealed law. Because he says this in verse 4, For he is God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid, Right? For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So Paul knew, if he was in the wrong, that there would be consequences. And he was learning these lessons and re resting in God's timing as he would go. And an appeal to Caesar would en enable Paul to even visit Rome, as was planned all the way back in Acts 19. 
nothing is happening out of God's timing for his servants. This is a great reminder for you and for me. How often do you and I feel like others are in control? But let us remember this fact. God never abdicates his rule over every part of our life. Never. And I think this is important for us to remember, especially now when it feels like everything is falling apart. You know, I had a friend recently who was lamenting um, that Canada, he said this, Canada isn't free anymore. And I was like, what are you talking about? I, I like, and I understand, I have my own frustrations. I do. I was like, well, what do you mean by free? Do you, do you know that we still have freedoms that are guaranteed in this country under the Statue of Rights and Freedoms? I actually Googled that too this week. I learned a lot about Canadian law. And I get it, you know, I don't like everything that's happening in this country today, but we still have the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms that guarantees freedoms in this country. So just like Paul knew his rights as a Roman citizen, we need to know our rights as a, as a citizen of Canada and to use those rights, which means to continue to use the, 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 the ways that God has ordained this government and how we can write to our government, we can petition our government, you can even protest your government if you want, just don't block my road because that's another big thing about efficiency of time. I'm all for your right to protest. Just don't block my way. I'm being sarcastic. Use letters, write. But we always trust in the ultimate author of time. That whatever happens will be part of God's purpose as he is Lord over time. So he appeals to Caesar so Paul does what he does after thinking about it, after praying about it, because I'm sure after two years of being in prison, he too had a lot of time to figure things out. And as he smells what direction the air is going, he appeals to Caesar as, as he follows his conscience that has been transformed by the word of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit. He makes a choice that seems to make good sense and is within his rights, and more importantly, still honors God. I think we forget, and I think Pastor Chris talked about this, how we have a dual citizenship. If, if you're a citizen of Canada, you're, you're, that's one, but you are also a citizen of heaven if you're in Christ. And our citizen of heaven always trumps our earthly one, by the way. And that's why the Bible always talks about this tension that is in there. Our job is to honor and make much of Jesus in all circumstances. That's our job. And we can only do that when we're resting in his timing. And with one final act, Paul will leave behind his accusers forever throughout Acts. And there is this big tension between the Jewish unbelief and opposition to the gospel that will now be gone. And after verse 12, as Festus consults with his counsel, they grant Paul's request. And can you imagine the weight that must have been off of his shoulders? Sometimes I wonder if he played a political card game. It's like, maybe I'm going to ask this question so that Paul kind of does request this one so that I don't have to deal with it. And I also think about Pilate as he washes his hands as he gives Jesus up to crucifixion. 
When Jesus said to be a follower of him is to take up your cross and follow him, it does really mean that. And Paul does it here. So what, you may ask yourself. You see, God's providence may sometimes look inefficient to us. We might get really, really frustrated with how timing is going. I, I, like, I'm sure, I, I, this is when I love talking to people like my grandparents, uh, my grandfather, my grandfather was a church planter, and just talking to them about his life and seeing how he had to learn to trust in God and his timing. It didn't mean that it resolved him, he wasn't supposed to do something in his time, but he had to trust God in that. He couldn't force things to happen, he just had to be faithful. I think about that even with myself. There was a time when I was frustrated with my current circumstances and where I was at in my life, and I'm like, God, why, like, just let me go, like, let's do this, let me run. I needed those many years in order for God to soften my own heart. So God's providence may sometimes look inefficient to us, but the two years of waiting brought an opportunity to share the gospel again and multiple times to Paul. Do you think Paul was just sitting there doing nothing? I think any time he got food from the prisoner guard, he was like, hey, have you heard about Jesus? Yeah, you told me yesterday. Well, let me tell you again. Because he was so consumed by the gospel. And he brought, and he, did, he used every opportunity to share the gospel and brought that right timing and that right place to bring Paul to Rome. Because in reality, God's timing makes everything beautiful in its season. Why put the most useful Christian in the world at that time in prison? But this is another lesson in how we can trust God and his timing, that God's ways are not our ways, as Isaiah 55, verses 8 to 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The problem is, just like my problem in our introduction, is that I often think God needs to think the same way I do. Therefore, I don't trust his timing. Therefore, I get mad at my circumstances and my situations rather than trusting in the God who is Lord over all. Isaiah is talking about how God's thoughts about his grace are, and our sinful thoughts are, are beyond our imagination. But as 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9 says, as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. But this is still true with God's providence. God's providence often leads down paths we haven't thought about. I've said this before. I'm a pastor, let alone preaching, and I thought I wouldn't be here in a million years. A million years. But if God is our shepherd and we are his sheep, we need to expect that we won't always understand where the shepherd is leading. See, God is so perfectly wise in all of his thoughts and how he does things that his people can have great comfort during those hard times, especially when we don't understand why things are happening and, and when things are happening. When God's timing isn't lining up with my timing, because how dare God not line up with my timing? 
So how do we trust God in his timing? First, we need to understand God, uh, that God's time is very different than ours. Moses said in, in Psalm 90, verse 4, For a thousand years in your sights are but, a yes, but as yesterday when it is past, as, or as a watch in the night. And Peter says something similar in 2 Peter verse 3, verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, he says, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. We need to trust the speed of God. We need to understand God uh, isn't slow in moving. God is not constrained by time. He is the father of time. He created it. God's time is different than ours, and God's timing is tied to his purpose. And we know that God makes all things out to be beautiful in his timing. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 says, He has made everything beautiful in its timing. Also, he has put eternity into the man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Which is also a reminder of, stop believing all those Facebook posts about prophecy stuff. Okay? We need to understand God's wisdom as well. God's wisdom is beyond ours. And he is teaching us to trust that his timing is beautiful. Even when we don't understand. Isaiah 46 says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declares the declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purposes. If we are waiting for 2,000 years or just two days, we need to point each other to this one fact. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. John Bloom, in an article on Desiring God, he put it this way, we need to frequently help each other to remember. God, time moves at different speeds than ours. God works all things at all times in all places in all dimensions after the counsel of his will to accomplish all his purposes. God has a purposeful time for everything, and he makes everything beautiful in its time. However, God chooses to use our time. It's critically important that we learn to trust his timing over the relative and unreliable earthbound perspectives that shape our perspectives so when we butt our heads up against God's it shows a lot about our own hearts doesn't it namely that we aren't very humble we think we know more than God who literally created everything and sustains everything Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Why is it that God's timing makes everything beautiful in its season? 
meaning that there is an amazing reward if we choose to embrace God's timing with joyful, peaceful, childlike trust, knowing that he will exalt us at his proper time. See, what if Paul continued on his missionary journeys? What if? I like playing these what-if games sometimes. What if I won the lottery? Even though I don't play the lottery. Where could the gospel have gone? Maybe, maybe he starts to plant churches along the North African coasts. Could he have been more useful than he was in prison? Sometimes I wonder about Paul's humility as I read some of his letters and even in Acts. But if Paul didn't go to prison, would he have been able to write to the church in Philippi? I want you to know, brothers, as he says in Philippians 1, that what has happened to me has already served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Two years have, have may seem to be very inefficient in this timing, but in God's perfect good timing, he exalted Paul to the spot that even more may hear the good news of Jesus Christ, that more may hear the gospel, that there is a holy God, that we have sinned against the holy God, and because of that sin, we deserve a punishment. That's it. But, oh, praise God, there's a but. When Jesus Christ steps down from his throne to live a sinless life, to be the perfect lamb who dies on a Roman cross for all and taking upon himself all the sins of all those who repent and believe, we now get something that we don't deserve, which is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Is that not a beautiful and good thing? seeing people rescued from hell that is deserved and brought into a kingdom of God that is not deserved and called sons and daughters of the living God, which is not deserved when we were enemies in Christ. God's perfect timing did that, not Paul's. Or what, what were the lessons that God was teaching Paul as he waited that enabled him to write beautiful words like Philippians 2, verses 3 to 8, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only on your own interests, but also on the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of the servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by obe becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Paul's imprisonment he wrote Philippians while in prison. Maybe Paul would have learned, maybe Paul learned during this time what Philippians 4.4 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, just in case you didn't get it, again, I say, rejoice. See, we frequently find ourselves, as one commentary put it, we frequently find ourselves questioning God's providence, wondering whether his control of our life or the lives of others is as well organized as it might be. We second guess, what might have been, we say. 
sometimes concluding that we are experiencing God's second best provision for us. Paul never once gave us this impression, he says, insisting instead that he was precisely where God wanted him to be. His task is to glorify God in these circumstances, utilizing every opportunity to be a shining light in the darkness. In Acts 25, we see God's gracious providence as he fulfills his purpose for Paul by protecting him from injustice and making it possible for him to go to Rome because God's timing makes everything beautiful in its season. Everything. You know, back to John Bunyan, he spent 12 years in prison for preaching the gospel. And it's not like prison today where you get like cable TV and sometimes you wonder if that would be a great place to just be. Three square meals. It was wet and cold and harsh. Not able to see his wife who was left there to raise four stepchildren of her own during a time when she gave birth to a premature stillborn baby giving birth to yet another daughter while John Bunyan was in prison. But it was during prison that John Bunyan wrote that wonderful work of art, The Pilgrim's Progress. That's God, that God uses to shape many people even to this day. Our job is to trust and make much of Jesus in all of our circumstances, trusting that God's timing makes everything beautiful in its season. And I know it's hard to see it. If you're going through a hard time right now, it's almost impossible to see that right now. I'm going to be, I'll I'll say the word impossible for you. But praise God, you have brothers and sisters who can walk alongside of you and keep pointing you back to the God who's sovereign over all these things. Reminding you of even in your own life where God has used whatever the circumstances to make it beautiful. How often can you look back at your own life and see God's perfect timing, knowing that you couldn't have made those circumstances turn out any more beautiful? Paul's trusting in God's timing would bring him to Rome to fulfill the mission of God, to bring the message about God to the Gentiles and the rest of the world in God's perfect timing. Let's remember and let's remind each other of how we can trust God's timing as he makes everything beautiful in its season let's pray as we continue to worship awesome god lord it is easy to trust you when things are going seemingly well but when life is hard when unexpected things happen when it's not as efficient as we feel it should be teach us to trust you help us to see Help us to know that your timing makes everything beautiful in this season. Help us to be faithful in our proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ, resting that you are the one who will make it effective. And Lord, we specifically think of our Halloween outreach. May your name be made much of. May you be glorified. God, may you call people out of the kingdom of darkness and into your kingdom of light. May we just be tools for your glory. Amen.